It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and today, the Adam Ritz Show is live on campus. We're at the Laguna Beach Christian Retreat in Panama City Beach, and we are broadcasting the show in front of this beautiful live studio audience. All right. Thank you so much for the warm welcome here at the Laguna Beach Christian Retreat. We are uh, at a Fellowship Leadership Conference for the Gentlemen of Kappa Alpha Order, a national fraternity. We have a member with us right now, Graham Scott. Hi, Graham. How are you? Good. Thank you, Adam. I'll I'll pound you. Um, That was a dog pound, by the way. For our listeners that don't know what what I just did, I did not just pound him in the face. That was a dog pound hound check because I've got the microphone in my right hand. So Graham Scott is joining us to talk about uh, philanthropy and, um, and, and efforts, community service efforts that a lot of college men and fraternity men do across the country. We love to highlight these stories to uh, showcase to America what kind of character there is out there in the fraternal world. What do you guys do at Florida Gulf Coast University with Kappa Alpha Order um, in the world of community service? Uh, well, we, uh, we really like to do a lot of uh, community service and philanthropy um, for our philanthropy uh, MDA, which is the Muscular uh, Dystrophy Association. We have a few events uh, that we hold over the course of the year. We do a big uh, golf tournament where we get everybody to come out, uh, play around the golf, um, and uh, get, get some uh, money donated through that. And then we also started something uh, this year called Possum's Pumpkin Patch. Uh, we actually took uh, the library lawn. We took about 500 and 600 pumpkins and put them all over the, the lawn and, and sold those and, and raised awareness about MDA um, and, and was able to raise a lot of money uh, for that. So the campus uh, administrators, was that easy to sell to them? Hey, we're going to put pumpkins all over campus. And they were, did they say, whoa, wait a minute? Or were they like, okay, great? I mean, it was right near Halloween um, and kind of Thanksgiving, so they were, they were definitely uh, about it. And it, it, it was really cool walking out the two mornings that we did it and, I mean, seeing a huge, huge uh, row of pumpkins out there. So I think they were, they were into it. Possum's pumpkin patch. What does possum have to do with it? Um, it was just one of our, our members' uh, nicknames. He kind of came up with it, and it just kind of worked, so we went with it. Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, and how do you recall off the top of your head how much uh, money was raised through the, that initiative? Um, I'm not sure the exact number. Um, I think we raised uh, three thousand through that, um, and then in total with all the events we did last year, I think it was about uh, fourteen five hundred, about fifteen thousand. So, so that's golf tournament in the spring. Uh, benefiting Muscular Dystrophy Association in the fall. It's the pumpkin patch. Uh, and I'm sure you're open to the public. I mean, if somebody li- living, living in the southwest Florida area needs a pumpkin in the month of October, head over to Florida Gulf Coast University, see Graham, get a pumpkin, help out the MDA. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Let's give uh, Graham one more round of applause. And thank you so much, gentlemen, for hosting the Adam Red Show. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. Sometimes it works out where you get to uh, do a little work and pleasure at the same time. And nothing against uh, the University of Minnesota or 
Uh, Michigan Tech, we've done some uh, pieces for Michigan Tech at the, the UP um, up near Canada, the coldest part of the United States I've ever been in. For every Michigan Tech interview we do, we're thankful to be in Florida. For this next piece, uh, we're about to bring on Michael Wilson. Michael, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Fantastic down here in Panama City. It's just beautiful here. We're outdoors. You might hear a little wind or maybe a motorcycle go by. We're in Panama City Beach. We're at the Laguna Beach Christian Retreat. And we're here with Michael Wilson and his group, uh, Kappa Alpha Order. Um, tell us about your group. It's a national organization, a fraternity. There it is. <laughs> There's that motorcycle we were talking about. It's just, again, I'm so thankful to be down here uh, with your group on this beach in this part of the country. Sunshine and crystal blue water, beach, um, and Michael Wilson. Now, back to Cap Alpha Order. Tell us about what you guys do. Perfect. And everything you described, we don't let the guys see any of that because we're here for a, a day and a half leadership retreat, one of six we do across the country. Uh, we have 7,800 undergraduates, and we're able to impact about 1,500 of those. All of our chapter leaders, our chapter management, to come in and send the, the values message that we want all of our members to see. So um, that's, you know, I got to tell you, I love hearing that from, um, I guess, a public service or uh, a community affairs radio show host perspective. That is awesome that you guys are doing that. Some of the national perspectives of a fraternity guy maybe end with a headline and maybe some alcohol. But we're here to tell you that's not always the case. You say how many of your guys are doing these kind of uh, retreats and uh, conventions? We have uh, 1,500 of the 7,800 will be um, over the month of February at one of these six retreats across the country. Okay, so I'm guessing that those 1,500 then take the information they're learning back to their campus for the other 7,000 or so to hear the good message. Yeah, these are all of our chapter leaders and officers, and so they will go back and, and send the message of Kappa Alpha and the positive things that we're doing and the the values we're instilling in our members to their individual campuses across the country, about 125 campuses across the country, will be impacted by this this weekend and the rest of them throughout February. Okay, and as far as your expertise uh, in leadership, uh, Michael Wilson, you work in the national office for Kappa Alpha. What is your title and role? And uh, I also understand you speak around the country uh, about student leadership. Sure. Um, currently the assistant executive director for alumni affairs. Been with Kappa Alpha for 13 years now. Wow. Um, quick counting on 125 campuses that I've been on. I had an opportunity to speak uh, all across the country from uh, San Diego to Princeton, um, you know, from Bowling Green to Fort Myers. You ever been to Michigan Tech? I've not been it's, to Michigan it's Tech. It's cold, man. As a, as a Michigan <laughs> fan, I've been to University of for football games right um you okay. know so so i will go up there and bear the cold for that but you know haven't had the opportunity to to do that we're we're thankful to be in the sunny panama city right now and you know thankful to be able to impact this many undergraduates well, that's pretty amazing so when you were in college and you were uh, an undergraduate uh, member of Kappa Alpha, that fraternity. I mean, did you have any idea when you were 20 years old that you'd be in your mid-30s working for that organization nationally? Uh, no idea. You know, when I went to college, I didn't have, didn't even think I would join a fraternity. I went there to play baseball. Uh, a bunch of the guys were K's and, you know, really befriended, befriended me and then told me about K and I liked what I saw from them and I could see the values that they had. And so I joined and thought I'd take a job for a year. And here I am 13 years later, continuing to love what I do uh, because we can have so much impact and a lot of positive things that these these guys can do on campus in the community and hopefully throughout life well you mentioned you went to play college baseball i, I always talk about how fraternity uh, members and athletic teams there's a lot of similarities there i, I gotta believe that helps you in your background trying to talk 
you know, leadership and teamwork with with a bunch of guys in a fraternity, it's it's not unlike a baseball team. Uh, absolutely, and I've had the opportunity to both play and, and coach, and you know, there are a lot of similarities, and what we're building here is a family and a team, just like you have with the athletic team, and they're there to pick each other up when they need to, and kick each other in the behind when they need to, and you know, they really serve for that core unit, and this is a team, you know, we have 125,000 alumni across the country that, you know, they're part of our family and part of our team, and we just want to impact as many of those as possible. Can you give me a what we call a success story um, of maybe some undergraduates or an alumni? I, I don't care if the guy's 65 years old or older even. Um, a success story of the kind of guy, the kind of gentleman that exemplifies what KA is all about, Kappa Alpha. Sure, absolutely. One of our guys right now, Luke Murphy, I'm from the state of Florida here. Uh, went to Florida State. He's a veteran, um, lost mobility and, and some of his legs, um, has battled back from that, and now is uh, helping out with a charitable organization for building homes for military members. Wow. Um, very heavily involved with you know, movement and politics for uh, helping our veterans when they come back. And so that's just a wonderful story of, of a guy that was a veteran when he came to campus and was you know, decided that he wanted to be part of the fraternal experience as a non-traditional student. Um, and you know, the sky's the limit for a guy like Luke. Okay, and what's his last name? I'm going to Google that guy. Luke Murphy. Luke um, Murphy. So if you're listening, you're interested in this guy, great story. Luke Murphy, Kappa Alpha, Florida State. You will find that dude in this story if you Google that. Luke Murphy. Okay. And you can look up uh, Homes for Homes for the Troops. Um, that's the organization that he helps to represent and is working really hard on behalf of. All right, Michael Wilson. There you have it. Student leadership and um, um, fellowship. Um, consultation with young people, helping them make good decisions. I'm, I have to comment before I let you go. You, you mentioned you played college baseball. I would have guessed basketball just because you're about six foot six. Yeah. What um, position did you play in baseball? I, I pitched in, in college. I did play basketball in high school, but baseball has always been what I've loved and you know, had the opportunity to do that and, you know, help me with my education as well. So. That's got to be, I've always thought a tall pitcher would be intimidating for, especially if a batter's like five foot three and you got a guy six foot six on the mound, you're on a, you're on high heels anyway on the mound. That's right. Yeah, that's why Randy Johnson was effective that in the hundred mile an hour fastball coming from a lefty. What's your fat, what was your fastball? Uh, I was mid eighties and I was right-handed, so I didn't go anywhere special. So <laughs> That's funny. I love it. What's your best uh, baseball memory before I let you go? Um, we had a lot of successes in high school and, um, probably the, the memory of my senior year in high school, we started out with a team with a freshman middle infield thinking we wouldn't do anything and wound up winning the regional tournament and finishing in the top 10 in the state that year. And that, so that was pretty special. Teamwork. It's all about teamwork and leadership. Okay. Michael Wilson, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and wish you the best of luck. You as well. And we always enjoy having you at K events and, uh, we'll see you next weekend. Hey, this is Paul Lancaster. Director of Player Engagement for the Buffalo Bills. And you're listening to The Adam Rich Show. We love charities that rock and rock and roll, and we are here today to talk about a benefit concert uh, with a great cause in mind. Our special guest is Gina, Gina Bardock. Hi, Gina. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing your story with us and what you do as the executive director of Hope and Overcoming and the concert you guys are putting on and who it's going to benefit. Tell us about uh, Hope and Overcoming and what you guys do. Hope and Overcoming Incorporated is an organization that um, 
has a goal of facilitating the conversation of substance use disorder and addiction among those that are in recovery and um, and for those like just starting in the addiction world and helping the families, um, helping to educate misinformed and under and understanding with empathy. Um, we like to try to change denial to hope and just become a powerful community um, that can be heard. So uh, through the course of your life, you've, I'm going to assume, been touched by some addiction, and, uh, and you've used that to power uh, yourself and this organization. Is that uh, correct? Correct. Um, my son was actually addicted to heroin for two or three years and had experienced, uh, experimented with opiate and prescription pills prior to that, um, both at Fisher's High School and then at Indiana University. And he is now almost three years clean and sober. That is fantastic. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that story with us. And uh, I'm so glad and happy that that he's turned his life around and that you've used this story or, or any part of that story to, to really help other people. Um, is he involved with this organization as well? He is. Um, the whole reason we we even started this a year and a half after he had become clean is because he continued to lose friends, like in death. They died. Um, So in September of 2014, um, at the end of September, he came over to tell me that another lifelong friend of his from junior high and on um, had passed away, and that was actually the 16th person that died. That he knew? Yes, from Hamilton County. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. So it was really hard for him for a long time because the mental and physical symptoms, even when you're in recovery, like, take a couple years to go away. So, like, he would have nightmares that would cause, like, sweats, and he'd even wake up sick and shaking. And um, so it took a while, but, you know with a recovery support network and a group of people um, that support him and going to groups and having his family involved really helped so he didn't have to hide anything or be ashamed. So um, he's actually gone to intensive training to become a crisis and soft interventionist as well. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I cannot get over that number of 16 of his own acquaintances and friends had passed on uh, 21 now unbelievable so you know you know our listeners are thinking okay I I may be going through the same thing my son or daughter is addicted to some sort of drug that there's with some horrible consequences and bad news maybe in the future you you and your son beat this um you overcame it hope and overcoming (laughs) there we go so I guess you know this is a nutshell question but can you put it in a nutshell to give some hope to some other parents out there how do you attack this? What's your first step in dealing with this? I always say silence kills and speaking saves lives. So like, like me, there's probably a lot of people every day that discover that somebody in their family is involved in addiction. And the first thing that they think is, oh my God, what do I do? I don't know anything about it. And the second thing they think is, what would my friends say, what would my coworkers say? I can't let anybody know. And it's just the stigmatized um, 
the stereotype that goes with it. So you cannot be afraid. You have you have to speak up because if you don't reach out and you try to handle it yourself and you don't understand it and you don't get help, um, if you don't find recovery, the only two other options are you're going to end up in jail or they're going to end up dead, and that's a fact. So you cannot be afraid. You have to understand the power that the drugs have over people, and it's nothing as a parent you can do to fix it. Like when they were little, we could just fix it with a Band-Aid or, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it doesn't really... It, it just it ta- and it and it takes more than the parents knowing what to do. It takes a lot of um, time and work and pain for that person to understand. I can't do this anymore. They have to need and want to get help themselves. So, our our favorite thing to do is really just get the whole family involved and realize it's a family disease because it starts affecting everybody, mm-hmm. and you have to pull together and help that person. And most of the time, there, it ends up being. You know, it's a mental health issue. There's um, genetics involved with addiction. And when the person realizes that they're not shameful and hopeless and worthless and that there's a reason this addiction started in the first place and everybody has an ism, everybody has their own ism, and something in life kind of brought them to that, it's easier for them to say, okay, I want to get help. So your son, you know, you, you just said, and we've heard this in addiction and recovery, um, you can't really help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. So your son got to that point uh, through a three-year addiction. I'm sure, as, as his mother, you were saying, you need help, you need help, you need help. It's falling on deaf ears. After several of his friends had passed on through it because of their addiction problems, that really was what opened his eyes and made him want to get help. Was it that his friends were passing on, or what really was the, I guess, culmination for him to say, yeah, this is no way to live? Sadly, uh, there were times he would go to a funeral. He didn't want to use anymore, but his body couldn't live without it. So he was very sick. I mean, it causes vomiting and seizures. So he would use again, even though he didn't want to. Just to feel better. Right, to feel normal again. Um, So he didn't want to do it for probably 10 months. Then we'd put him in somewhere, but the thing is they can walk out because we don't have control of them. They're over 18. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, our... Our conclusion, uh, you know, I wouldn't let him stay in the house. There's certain things. You have to let them know you love them and that you care, but you're also not going to support them. And when you want to get help, I'll be in your life and I'll be here to help you. Um, And he just said, I can't do this anymore. So we sent him out of state. We actually sent him to California with family. And um, he left at 140 pounds, and he came back like 210 (laughs) <laughs> he was ready. So he came back five months later, re-entered the same environment he came from, which made us really, really nervous sure. to come back to the same area where everybody was using. And um, he just mentally was there. He wanted nothing to do with it. He had no medication assistance, and he just closed off his circle. I mean, he was the guy that had a hundred best friends, like all of them are my best, best friend. So now he has like four. We just cut him off. Yeah. He was just mentally there. Yeah. 
Well, I have to tell you, you know, congratulations. And um, you beat something a lot of families can't beat. I want to meet this kid. I want to shake his hand. I want to give him a hug. Uh, have him on the show. Is he going to be at this uh, music festival? He is going to be there. Um, his name's Brandon. He's actually going to be a security guy for a couple hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. And well, um, Give him my name so he doesn't throw me out. <laughs> Um, let's talk about this show real quick. It's uh, February 27th. The uh, title is fantastic. It's called Face the Music. Right. I love those kind of double meetings. You, you know, there's a music <laughs> festival. You've got to face the music, face your addiction. Uh, face the Music is February 27th at the Milltop in Noblesville. And um, if our listeners want to go or uh, are there tickets involved, is this, uh, how, do they, how do they get to go to this show? Actually, anybody can go, and there's free entry. Free. Free, our favorite F word. Free. Okay, free <laughs> tickets. So just uh, show up and enjoy the day, huh? Right. Okay. We are taking donations at the door. We are a nonprofit. So our goal for this is not only to unite everyone together to show that we need change and, and to give more recovery options to people everywhere, but... But um, we want everybody to be able to come without having to buy a ticket, um, just so that they can all, the more the better. Yeah. And, and the, the more people are uniting together, the more powerful it becomes. Well, and, you know, when you do pass the hat, sometimes you end up making uh, more <laughs> fundraising than if you sold a ticket. Because uh, just as a consumer, I'm less likely to buy a $20 ticket than I am to go to this, and out of the goodness of my own heart, just give $30. So, right. uh, or if it, I shouldn't have given a number. If you want to give $1,000, give $1,000. Um, let's say our listeners uh, want to support this, but they can't really go to the show. Uh, can they donate online or anywhere? We do. There's several ways. We have a website. Um, www.hopeandovercoming.org and there's a donation button right there on the front page um, any you know anything five dollars you know if if a hundred people gave ten bucks there's a thousand absolutely um, so we do that and and that goes around you know it's online it goes around social media and we do uh, mailings twice a year with um, donor cards as well. Okay. So hopeandovercoming.org if you'd like to donate online, uh, if you want to donate in person and enjoy a great day of music. Uh, February 27th, the Milltop in Noblesville is Face the Music. Now let's talk about some of the artists playing and uh, some of your favorites that are going to be on stage jamming. <laughs> We're talking pure rock and roll. Is there some uh, country going on? What kind of formats and genres are we hitting? We're trying to reach a, a good broad spectrum and with our audience, so we want to have a lot of different styles. Um, I know DPZ. Um, I think they're a little bit more rock um, and maybe more alternative. And then we do have um, like some country, a little bit of country. There's actually one guy that's going to rap a couple songs, and he's really good. And all his music is about his time in addiction and, and jail and um, just his life during that time. Um, but then, like, you know, a lot of pop and, and um, there's actually a soul, like jazz, that's starting out the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Bobby Hayden Jr., who was, like, the big hair band rocker guy in the 80s <laughs> with Rick Bozzo. And um, 
they they actually ended up on Skid Row in L.A. after. Uh, remember uh, when MTV had VJs? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so like they've interviewed with Martha Quinn on MTV back when they actually played videos all day, mm-hmm. and um, ended up in addiction and living on Skid Row and for years, yeah. and became homeless. So they're they're really awesome, great guys, and they go all over the country playing, and they they do a lot of Christian music and they do a lot of um, soft rock. And a lot of it has to do with finding recovery. Um, the free concert, February 27th. It's Face the Music at the Milltop in Noblesville. Our guest is Gina Bardock. She's the executive director of Hope and Overcoming. That's the, um, the foundation that's uh, putting on this uh, concert. And you do so much more than just uh, this kind of event. Tell us about some of the other, um, um, I guess, projects or partnerships that you work mm-hmm. on. Well, besides the fact we do family support groups, we do education, like addiction education groups as well, to help families and spouses and siblings understand what their family is going through. And we do advocacy work. So we helped um, in testimony at the State House, my son did, um, so that Narcan could become a prescription. Um, available to anybody to have. And Narcan is the reversal antidote of an overdose. So you can save somebody's life by injecting them either like a nasal injection or muscular um, injection. And um, then our goal is to open a sober living facility for women. Uh, Women are traditionally one of the lower risk people in addiction, and they're just, they're right up there with with the males. And And I hate to interrupt, but what do do you mean by they're lower risk? You mean because they're not more as likely to to beat somebody up, to go to jail for assault, (laughs) that kind of thing? Normally, um, there's three categories that are low risk to fall into addiction, and that's female, people with private insurance, their own insurance, and higher income. But due to, um, like, prescription pills being so easily accessible and kind of the fix-all thing the last two decades, fix Mm -hmm. everything with a pill, fix everything with a pill, um, that's where the crisis began. So there's, there's, just as many females out there that had their own insurance that could go to pain management doctors. Now those doctors and those those offices are getting shut down left and right. People are sick. They have to have it. So the next and easiest thing to do when they realize that heroin and Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, all these, they're pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get heroin for 5 or $10 you can be high for, you know, six, eight hours. So it's a lot cheaper. So we have a lot of, of women addicted to opiates and, you know, illicit drugs, whether it be prescription or heroin. Um, and they don't want to get, they're afraid to go, they can't get treatment, they have children. So we have a generation of probably in our organization we must have a hundred or more grandparents raising their grandchildren we have a couple great grandparents raising great grandchildren um, because they either 
died or they ended up in prison. We want them to get help. And you're, you're saying since they have children, they're reluctant to go get help because they don't want to lose their children. They have nowhere for the kids to go. Okay. Um, or they're afraid DCS will get involved and take them and they won't get them back. So we're really trying to change the conversation and educate our courts and judges and law enforcement so that they understand this, how this disease works. And they're not harming anybody. They're harming themselves. And they should be able to get treatment like anything else if they had cancer. DCS isn't going to come take your kids away. Right. So we have been able to partner with Safe Families and Children, and it is a nationwide organization, and they can help provide care for you know babies, five-year-old, you know school-age children. They can take care of your children while the mother can get treatment and get her life back together and learn how to self-sustain. And um, they are not paid to do it. And so our goal is to provide them treatment while their kids are being taken care of, and then we can help coach them back into their you know regular environment while raising their kids. We've got sober coaches and recovery coaches, people that can help them maintain sobriety. Uh, our guest has been Gina Bardock, the Executive Director of Hope and Overcoming. More information at hopeandovercoming.org. Uh, we are promoting their big music festival. It's called Face the Music. That's February 27th at the Milltop in Noblesville. I'm going to go to the show with my equipment and do interviews from the event and interview some of the artists that are there. You've got some featured keynote speakers, so we'll do a follow-up report on the event. And uh, we'd love to have you on this show more often as a recurring guest to talk about recovery, addiction, and more stories like this. Because I think the more times uh, people listening that have an issue that maybe, like you said, are afraid to tell somebody about it, silence, that's the worst thing you can do. Once you hear these conversations, maybe it'll bring some more people out of the, out of the darkness to get some help for them and their family, too. So, Gina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.